Hi, I'm Hannah, team manager with the Orange Arrow Players Association, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field. Please consider making a play by giving, hosting a friend raiser, subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel, and staying connected on social media at Orange Arrow PA. Visit orangearrow.org for more information. Thank you for listening. Take aim. Welcome to Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow, and I'm your host, Sean Robinson. And today we have a very, I'm talking about a very special guest, Jody, a.k.a. JBS, a.k.a. Jody Spolar. Jody, how are you? I am great. Um, And the fact that I am here is a testament to your persistence (laughs) and your persuasion, because we both know that uh, it required both of those um, to have today happen. But now I'm excited because I get to talk with you. You No, excited to join. I mean, it's just a testament to the long commitment you have, the Orange Arrow serving as the chair of our board. We're going to get into that later. But as you know, in athletics, the importance of warming up and stretching. Yep. Got a couple warm-up questions for you. Okay. Favorite TV show of all time. You can come on today and you will sit down and watch it. So that's really easy, Sean. Everybody in my family could answer this for me. So it is the original I Love Lucy shows. I've watched every episode. A that's million a great times. choice. Lucille Ball is the most brilliant physical comedian, comedian of all time. All of the spinoffs were not worth watching, but the original, <laughs> the original. it's just, that's, that's the best. That's a wonderful choice, a wonderful choice. If you go and listen to one musical artist, just one for 30 days straight, who are you selecting? Hmm. Um, so I, I think I will go to my current um, Sonos playlist. Um, and it is heavily dominated um, by Jonathan Butler. I don't know if, do you know Jonathan Butler? Yeah, I do know Jonathan Butler, yes. South African um, vocalist, guitarist, songwriter. Um, Just a little pitch. Uh, We are longtime subscription uh, holders to the Manchester Craftsman's Guild, their jazz series. And so- Yeah, shout out to Bill Strickland. um, Really influenced a lot of, artists and who we listen to and who I listen to, et cetera. And so Jonathan Butler, I've seen him perform several times at the Manchester Craftsman's Guild and he's awesome. So he really is. Yeah. Wow. Two back to back solid choices. You actually mentioned Sonos. So that's one thing that, that we found that we have a, a love for is Sonos music. Like that system is actually incredible. You know, so the, the wireless system yeah. in order to play multiple songs, in different parts of the homes. So how many how many uh, speakers do you have? Uh, we have four throughout have the four. house. So we can have on the okay. second we have two. floor. Okay. Uh, first floor and different rooms. And we have a sound bar under the TV and stuff. So yeah, it really changes the feel of the house to sort of be able to have that presence of music, um, either dominant or just kind of a backdrop to life. So yeah, we, we love it. Now, do you also listen? Because I just recently started listening to 
uh, like radio on Sonos, also the podcast as well. In addition exactly. to exactly, that's a more recent thing that we thing that we've done. Listen to a podcast together, you know, and you can kind of be doing chores and moving around the house. So yeah, it really does open up a lot of possibilities to enjoy your home, as we've all been getting you know better at in the last year or so. <laughs> right, right, right. Jody, one thing I've always appreciated about you is your sense of fashion, your sense of style. You have some of the, especially the, the winter clothes, the coats and the gloves, like the swag is on 1,000. That's one thing I do miss living here in South Florida is mm -hmm. the opportunity to wear my winter coats and winter clothes and, and the overlay. And so with that in mind, what celebrity do you appreciate their sense of style, their fashion? Hmm. Hmm. Um, so I'll do a quick uh, third place, second place, first place. Really, oh, let's go. Um, because the first name that jumped into my mind was Diane Keaton. Um, I don't think just her pure sense of joy um, and all her craziness. I mean, I could never do what she does or wear what she does. But the fact that she just it personifies joy in what she wears is again as wacky as her outfits are. Um, that's the that's what came to mind. Okay. Uh, a, a second place, very quickly, not to make a long answer. Um, you know, Michelle, I gotta go with her. I mean, just it begins and ends with that yellow dress and coat that she wore on inauguration day, you know, in 2009. And you know, her ball gown choices and then her sensibility with J. Crew and Target, you know, and all yeah. those things. You know, like I think she just had a a really good sense of it. But I think just to Jody, hold on. With with Michelle, what did you think of that purple coat she just wore on the recent inauguration? I mean, wow. the fact that she like stole the show. I I mean <laughs> of just you know, she just has a way of finding something that doesn't overstate it but still is just like perfect for the moment. So, right. so yeah, good. I mean, I obviously adore all things Michelle Obama, but um, Number I, one. But I'm gonna stick with first ladies and and go with um, Jacqueline Kennedy, Jackie Kennedy. Um, just- Classic. You know, just her effortless kind of just perfection, like her clothes blurred with the person almost, you know, like, it, it, which was which kind of thing yeah. so i um yeah she's just perfection so wonderful i like that i like that i like i like the three two one that was great <laughs> all right great. um take, take us back young jody where are you from education growing up and also your interest and connection to sports take it away oh wow um so i kind of have quintessential pittsburgh roots. Um, my mom grew up on the north side, uh, you know, series of apartments, etc. I don't think her parents ever owned a home, but she was on the north side, graduated from Oliver High School. Um, my dad grew up in the Hill District of Pittsburgh. He has kind of an interesting story um, in the sense that you know, he didn't come from, you know, a family of means to begin with. And then dad died when he was a baby. Mom, by the time he was eight years old. Wow. And he really had kind of a ragtag experience in the sense that they never had any adults who kind of 
ever lived with them. They just navigated the world on their own. Um, you know, I think several of the brothers were kind of picked up by the authorities and taken to the Pennsylvania orphanage for indigent children and spent a couple years there. Um, my two aunts, his two sisters, only went to school through the eighth grade because they had to drop out and kind of yeah. you know, just navigate life and stuff. Um, and he went undergraduate from Peabody High School. So there's like this real anchor um, of Pittsburgh roots there um, that, you know, really kind of anchor me a little bit. Um, maybe two quick things, not to spend time or, or two or just quick things. No hurry. Anchors that my, my parents provide. You know, I, I remember when I was little, like five or six, and I had a sense that my dad had kind of a different life than I did. And he was describing how they just moved around. I was like, well, where did you live? And he's like, well, I didn't ever have one place. We just, you know, somebody would have a room or whatever. And I remember saying, well, how did you move? You know, how'd you move all your things? Picturing what I had, you know, which was certainly more than he, you know, was different than, than you know, what I was picturing for him. Right. So we'd go, down to the, we'd go down to the grocery store and get a couple bags and then we'd put our things in the bags and then we'd carry them to the, the new place. I'm thinking, well, that's different, you know, like that's yeah. really a different kind of life. And the second thing, and then I'll, I'll move on, but, you know, it was as adults, um, they would tell the stories that when they were growing up in the Hill District, really in the time before there was kind of a, you know, an infrastructure to support, social supports, you know, for individuals who are in their circumstances and children in their circumstances, they needed something at the, at the little corner grocer or the pharmacy or whatever, they would go in and the person waiting on them would always say, oh, we'll put that on your tab. And it wasn't until they were adults that they realized no tab, but that that yeah. was the community kind of yeah. wrapping their arms around them. So, you know, that always kind of anchors me a little bit to the Pittsburgh community, knowing that it you know, kind of wrapped its arms around my, you know, my dad. Um, certainly I'm a first generation college graduate, you know, neither of my parents would have, you know, had the opportunity to do that. So. And so, so with that, did they put an emphasis on education and wanted more for you because, because they came, but came from such humble beginnings? Yeah, there was no question that I have a brother and a sister that the three of us were going to go to college. Now there wasn't all the which one and the best one, like it was a check in the box, but it was very clear that that was something they wanted to not replicate, that they were gonna have children who went to college and graduated from college. So yeah, it definitely translated itself in that kind of way. There wasn't a lot of fuss or muss around it. I don't remember a lot of, you know, focus on academics or whatever, but we were gonna go to college because my dad had, you know, just, he was gonna, he was going to make that happen. He took a lot of pride um, in that. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit about the roots. And I will say by the time I was in high school, my parents had moved out of state. My sister and brother are older and they moved out of state. So it isn't like I have like a big network here, you know, in Pittsburgh now, but, but yeah, definitely the roots are there. Um, Wait, so hold on. So yeah. your yeah. family moved out of state. You were still in high school in Pittsburgh? I was. My sister's a fair amount older than I am, and I stayed with her to graduate from high school. Okay. Um, so my dad was transferred with the company he was with, and so, you know, you follow the yeah. job, that sort of right. thing. That was the way you just did it then. So, yeah. So they now, were like, 
when I was, think I was a junior in high school. Junior, okay, I was gonna, that was my next question. So yeah. how did you deal with that much flexibility? You almost like, it's like going off to college early, like was your sister strict? Yes. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it worked. I think it worked fine. You know, my, I didn't ever feel abandoned or anything like that. It was really probably a teenage fussing that my world would come to an end if I had to move, you know, in the middle of high school and they probably just gave in to my fussing about it. So yeah, I don't, you know, it was, it was nothing that felt traumatic in the way of being abandoned or, you know, feeling uh, adrift in any kind of way. It was that part was all fine. Right, right. No, but what, what, I, what I'm getting at more so, like, did you try to party more now that you were oh, living with your oh. own sister? Like, <laughs> were you out? I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm free now. <laughs> um, you know, maybe a little bit. But <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't want to get my sister in trouble. Not that anybody can get in trouble at this point, but no, I don't. I mean, you know, I, I was probably doing what I was going to do, whether my parents were there or not. You know how it is in high school. So, right, definitely. <laughs> I don't think there is a big shift there. Um, so over there on the, on the north side, I mean, you're right. You're, um, I mean, you're in like Steeler country. Were you all Steelers fans growing up? So yeah, I was gonna say. So so my dad, absolutely. My mom was not a big sports person, but my dad, my you know, my my siblings, myself. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And when you ask about sort of the importance of sports. You know, I was very much a tomboy, played sports all my life. Um, you know, there was always a game in the backyard, always a kickball, wiffle ball, touch football, etc. In fact, uh, you know, an early story about that is at one point I was um, given the rule that I was not allowed to play hardball with the boys, you know, couldn't play hardball. Okay. And so of course that was a rule to be broken. So <laughs> Definitely. I, I moved down a couple yards where they couldn't see me and, a, you know, was playing hardball and my hand came out around the mitt and, you know, the hard hit it, broke my finger in two. And I had this really clear memory of being in the basement with my sister and being really distraught, not because my finger was broken or because it hurt, but because my parents were going to see that it was like, you know, 50 shades of purple and, right, red, right. and I was going to get in trouble for playing hardball. So, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's, it was just part of life in the backyard and all of that. And yes, I mean, the, um, we were definitely Steeler fans. Um, you know, the backdrop of Bob Prince, you know, narrating summer baseball games and in the backyard with the transistor radio on. I mean, that was really the, the backdrop of our of our lives you know it was it was free and it was entertaining and you know it was very much a part of what kind of that family you know the recollections of time with the family you know have that as yeah. a backdrop for sure so taking back to backyard being a tomboy playing all these games now, did you enjoy playing the games like for fun or or like were you pretty competitive oh i'm competitive Okay. Oh, sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. In fact, I would say most of the time would be spent arguing the rules. Okay. You know, oh, I can see that. I can see know, that. We were a rat pack back there, you know, and literally, I mean, you know, tears and crying, stopping and throwing. I mean, oh yeah, there were, there were, the majority of the time was disputing 
rules and was somebody safe or were they not and all that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I love to do all of that. I mean, when I was in elementary school, played basketball and softball on the school teams and, you know, just always had something going on of that type. We had a, we never paved it, but we had a gravel big square in the backyard and put up a hoop and just, you know, my brother was a basketball player and just every day, all day, that basketball yeah. was just right, right. part of the, part of what home was all about. So yeah, yeah. Loved it, but also, you know, wanted to advocate for a point or advocate for a score. Definitely, definitely, sure, definitely. For sure. So you mentioned earlier about going to college. Now, were you the first to go to college? I'm the youngest of three. You're so the youngest of young, three. Okay. And a brother who went ahead of me. So yeah, I was I was the third one brought up the rear. So out of high school, you decided to go where? So so I went to Penn State, as you oh. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have a love for David I'm a Pitt Panther. There are so I know, many Penn State I know. alums that well, support OA at the high level. Like, so I do have a soft spot for them. Yeah. As long as they're not playing Pitt. We're, I we're understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pitt Penn State rivalries are very much in a part of our family history as well. Because what I will say, consistent with sort of a, what I described about my parents. Going to college was a very transactional thing. We were given two choices. We could either go to Pitt or we could go to Penn State. But if we went to Pitt, we were expected to live at home because it would have been an extravagance yeah. to live in Pittsburgh and pay, you know, that was just right. the kind of family I came from. So my sister went to Pitt, lived at home, okay. yep. and my brother and I were like, there's no way I'm living at home. So right, right. State became the choice, which makes it sound like it was, you know, a default. It was, it really was. It's okay. It's okay. It was a default. Choice. It could be the default. But it, was, <laughs> but it was, you know, it ended up being a great default. But yeah. my dad, because he didn't have a school, like so many, you know, kind of working class, you know, people of, of that time and probably I'm sure it's still the case, he adopted. Pitt, you know, because he was yeah. from Pittsburgh, and so that right. was and he hated Penn State. So the fact that my sister and her eventual husband and my dad or whatever, and you know, a lot of the surrounding were Pitt people, right? I got you know, my brother and I went to Penn State, and so for years that Pitt Penn State game was like people didn't talk to each other, <laughs> you know, somebody cheated, and uh, right, definitely. Know, and, People would get up and move and not sit near each other. And there was so yeah, there's a lot of history there for us in terms of Pitt Penn State. For so sure. how was it attending colleges and state college? Um, so so I, you know, it was great. What's there not to be great about being, you know, a teenager or whatever and 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 being there? I mean, I I I had a good experience there. I know not everybody does. Um you know, I was the kind that went, you know, went to football games. I was not in the Greek system. That was definitely not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, enjoyed it. I, a big thing that defined, that was a big part of it for me, I worked at like the most popular restaurant downtown in downtown State College. Okay. Somebody who's maybe over 40 or 45 who went to Penn State would know the deli. It was kind of yeah. a place to be, particularly like after football games. And, you know, it was just, it was kind of an anchor establishment. 
Um, and I worked there for most of the time that I was, was at Penn State. And, and so it really was also sort of its own thing of being, they called them deli girls, you know, the young women. Oh, I didn't know Jody was a deli that's, girl. That's really sexist to say it that way, but that's yeah. what the sort yeah. of, the, the way it was phrased at that point in time. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, it was, it was hard, like any waitressing job, it was hard, 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 exhausting work after a football game Saturday, because usually, you know, you'd leave at halftime to get you know, to your shift, et cetera, but you would make a ton of money on tips. Um, but it was, you know, it was hard work, but it was also really, you know, fun. It was, it was where the jump was in town, you know, and you were kind right. of part of it or whatever. So, so yeah, that defined a lot of, um, you know, my experiences there, but yeah, it was, it was good. I, 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 I look back at it fondly, but probably like a lot of people, um, I think that fondness grows over time too. You know, you're a little bit focused on your immediate world when you're 19 to 21 or 22 and really even appreciate maybe all of the things that are around you and opportunities. And so even, you know, as an, certainly as an adult and over the years, you know, my affection for it has, has only grown. I'm always intrigued because as you know, living in Pittsburgh, Pitt being on campus, it's a unique student experience because you're right in the city as opposed to some like state college like Penn State is basically state college it's, I mean it's a true when you think of college college town yeah and I didn't I didn't fully experience it when I was playing but when, when I went to go travel for a game actually a, a few years ago to Penn State oh my goodness I went to the Pitt Penn State game it was like a hundred thousand people there they shut the city down like it, it, it was, it was a great atmosphere. Now it took me, took my wife and I about three, four hours to get out of traffic though yeah. <laughs> to leave. So that took a while, but I could imagine though, uh, being a deli girl, uh, like <laughs> after the game, a hundred thousand people, like that, that, that's, that's a good weekend. That's a good weekend. So what did you major in? Um, so at Penn state, I would say I had a traditional liberal arts, um, experience, which, was probably pretty frustrating to my parents because it meant it was a little bit unfocused. Um, and, you know, eventually I became grateful for that. You know, I did, I did explore a lot of things, um, but I left with, I think what was called a general arts and sciences um, major, you know, I did well. So, I mean, I, 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 I had sort of the grades to advocate, you know, for what was to come, but I was, it was not like I left with an accounting degree or something that um, was way more tangible in terms of what you could do with it. I would say that the sort of the course of study that I connected with the most and started to feel like I'm in the right space and even saying something like that, I'm sure was very frustrating to my father, but um, was like industrial psychology you know, and I, I felt like that was kind of an indicator that I was interested in that area, but I, but I left without sort of a clear, you know, professional direction. So that's just the honest answer to that one. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, so with that in mind, I mean, did you have more of an idea what you wanted to get into right after college? What did you do after you graduated? Yeah, I didn't. So I, um, I kind of explored the, the United States. So I, 
took about a year and a half, two years, and um, I did travel quite a bit around the country. Um, it just kind of went to places and things I wanted to see and do, etc. And kind of the, the stepping stones that kind of led me because I did end up, you know, finding you know my passion in terms of of a profession was I ended up in a long story that we won't go into spending time on a little island off the coast of Seattle working in a factory that makes snow skis. So for any, wow. so for any skiers, they're K2 skis. Um, and while I was there working in the factory, there was a union organizing drive. And it was so interesting to me. Like I was there... I knew I wasn't there for the long term, you know, I, I was going to yep. head back east at some point. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have a lot of skin in the game in terms of my personal, you know, was I going to go there? But all the, um, the organizing efforts and the messaging, you know, it was like, it was fascinating to me to sort of, and, and, and realize the intensity that was involved, you know, and yeah. people are for it and people against it, et cetera. So that really caught my interest. And then that kind of started to connect me with, you know, industrial psychology and now this union organizing, et cetera. And so I ended up um, after this kind of time off applying to what is basically a niche program in labor relations at Cornell University. And so I went to Cornell for graduate school um, and just, you know, just kind of slid into something that really felt right for me in terms of matching right. kind of skills and interests and so left there with a master's of industrial and labor relations and from there just really leaned into you know really the labor relations aspect of it um yeah and and you know kind of enjoyed being in that in that realm yeah. realm for many years to come I really did enjoy it okay so we're gonna talk at the grad school but you mentioned and I had no idea off of Seattle, skiing. So, like, do you still enjoy skiing? Do you still follow that? No, I mean, I worked in the factory. I made the skis that other people skied on. I mean, I skied a little bit when I was younger, but it, it okay. was, again, long story, but I had a connection. It was a job. We had traveled, you know, for a while and needed to make a little bit of money, you know, stop and work right. a little bit. And so literally it was in the factory making the skis. I mean, it was a cool atmosphere. It was a lot of you know, um, you know, island people who did, you know, ski bombs yeah. who worked there or whatever, but it was, it was very interesting and pretty cool. I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely. I look back on fondly and, you know, very different, obviously, than kind of, you know, what life ended up being, of course, once you get back right. in more traditional settings and roles, but it was, yeah, it was a pretty cool time. Yeah. I mean, because personally, I would love to learn how to ski. Now, I have a thing with heights, though, so I'm, I'm not sure about getting on that ski lift, so I don't know how I'm able to juggle that, but that's definitely something that I, I want to try. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I skied for, for, for a while. I don't currently do it. Um, it's, you know, once you get that rush of making it down a mountain, you're pretty willing to get on the ski lift to get up to do it again. You know, Fair that's my, my sense of it. I think you'd get over it because it's pretty cool. It's a pretty well, cool. When I get a chance to do it, I'll make sure I'll share the video with you. Yes, I want to <laughs> definitely do that. So after graduate school. Yeah, so after graduate school, um, I did a short 
spent with the federal government working for the National Labor Relations Board. Um, that, you know, was a little bit like an advanced internship or something, but my first sort of real job was with a large steel company. Um, so I went to work in the labor relations department of a major Fortune 500, you know, steel company, LTV Steel in Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, yes. That's the city. I don't know if you know that. I was actually born in Cleveland. That's right. Know, That's right. I, I was raised in Warren, yeah. but born yeah. in Cleveland. But yes. So, um, so yeah, I, I worked in the mill. It, <laughs> I, I always joke, it makes me sound like I'm as old as Betsy Ross, but um, wasn't she the one that made the flag? <laughs> Um, but I, I think I was the first or one of the first women to lead a labor relations department and, a yeah. you know, in a major steel facility, because there were just no women in the steel industry then, and, and particularly not in labor relations, you know, working with the yeah. steel unions and stuff. So but I loved it. I loved working in the steel mill. You know, it was, there is an energy. It's like a, it's like its own city, you know, you yeah. through yeah. the gates. And you're in there and it's just like its own world, its own right. your environment. And, you know, being on the floor when they tap, you know, and iron ore, you know, yeah. just everything about it, the fieriness. And it, it's, it's, it's a very special kind of setting. So I really did, you know, I was very engaged by it, even though it was really challenging because there were many people that did not appreciate, you know, having, a young woman, you know, involved in their yeah. family, you know, union business. Um, but it was, it was cool. I learned a lot and um, yeah, it took a lot away with me when I left. Yeah. And so I know you brought that competitive sphere. So whether you agree with me being here or not, I'm going to compete, I'm going to get the job done. And, yeah, and, and, I, I definitely had the, cause you had to learn strategies and it was very yeah. much like you know, I can appreciate the way you're feeling, but I'm not going anywhere. So it's really on you to figure it out. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, totally. but again, you know, you, you try to, you know, appreciate their perspectives and where they're coming from or whatever, but also kind of be resolute in the fact that yeah. you're not going to chase me away. And so and there was, there was a lot of harassment, you know, there is a lot of fairly intense harassment and stuff. So you you just learn early on to, you know, you just got to let some of that just, just roll right off you. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And, and, and I get, I have a small sense of what you were saying as far as like, it's like its own city when you walk in, because both of my grandparents, they worked in a steel mill in, in Warren, Ohio, uh, General Motors and Copperwell. So I, I understand, like, I remember like when in high school, going to get something from my grandma or a center there. So I, I get that. So now you were in Cleveland. Now, did they convince you to start the root for the Browns at all? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? No way. There's nothing more fun like being in enemy territory. It just makes you all the more passionate <laughs> about your team. I mean, I don't know that we went to more than one Browns game because it was, you know, it was, it was rough. Dog I mean, pound. Yes. Dog pound is, is, it's serious stuff. I mean, you know, you got to be careful. So, right. yeah, no, they, yeah, they would know better than to mess with a diehard stealer. <laughs> Made us all the more proud and intense and all of that sort of thing. There was no danger of uh, shifting colors. <laughs> so what took you back to Pittsburgh? Um, so 
So we, um, well, my husband first got a job back in Pittsburgh. Um, I didn't immediately return, but we did kind of, you know, decide that we would probably move back um, here. And so I started looking for something in Pittsburgh and I had really made a conscious decision that I wanted to switch from the private sector to the public sector. Um, the labor relations issues in the public sector were just, you know, more interesting to me, more novel. I was interested in sort of the overlay of public policy and politics that kind of, you know, infuses itself into right. the public sector um, organizations and, and their labor relations. And so there were just a lot more novel questions, the right to strike, you know, and things like mm -hmm. that in the public sector that had been just all sort of worked out, so to speak, in the private sector. You know, the bargaining law in the private sector is way older and there's so much more precedent and all of yeah. that. You're really just relying sort of on these old decisions and, you know, then there'd be a little nuance or fine tuning that you might get from a decision or something. But in the public sector, you know, even to this day, you know, the, the questions are a little bit thornier, you know, those connections with public policy and public interest and all of that. So I really was interested. I didn't have a particular focus on education, which is of course where you and I connected at the Pittsburgh School District. I was more searching more for something to move back in the public sector and then a position in labor relations showed up at the Pittsburgh School District, which felt very much like the kind of, you know, opportunity that I wanted to make staying in labor relations, but shifting over to the public sector. And so I was, I was very um, interested in, get, in, you know, being successful in that, in that uh, selection process and was, you know, kind of glad to join the team. And then, you know, I really just kind of fell for kind of the purpose and in the work of working in a public school district and, 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 you know, the labor relations issues were really interesting. Um, you know, so it, it became a really good fit for me. Yeah. So I didn't know that. So your first back, your first job back to Pittsburgh was actually PPS. Yes. Yeah. I moved wow. back. Yeah. I finished working it was a Thanksgiving break. I finished working on Wednesday before Thanksgiving in Cleveland at the steel company. And I started on Monday at PPS. So yeah, I drove to Pittsburgh and went into work. So yeah, that's, I moved back here really to start that job. And so, so you mentioned it, you and I, uh, we met at P PPS when I was working as, as part of your team it, within your department, actually on Sam Franklin's team, but within your department, uh, as the chief of HR. So when did you get into that role, the chief? Yeah, so really very shortly before you would have come because it was only the last five years. I had, you know, that that position had been suggested to me and offered me at, at, at different points in time, or at least I, I shouldn't be presumptuous and, and, and say offered necessarily because, you know, there's always a selection process. But right. I, you know, I was really loved labor relations and loved my role and loved my position. And it was really, you know, with the advent of the Bill and Melinda Gates work, 
where there was more of a blending between those roles of sort of human capital management and labor relations. And, you know, those roles started to merge a little bit. And then we had, you know, a new superintendent, um, Linda Lane, who, you know, came in and, you know, she just, you know, made a strong case for why she would like to see me sort of move into that role. And at that point, I, I just felt like, <laughs> you know, I, I, that I just needed to do it. Um, and, and I was glad I did. It was, it yeah. opened up, you know, lots of new opportunities and particularly through the grant work, you know, was really became then a focus um, for me and, and, and just really made things really interesting, quite frankly. Definitely, to say the least, yeah. A lot of cool things. So, yeah. And so how long has it been since you, you retired from PPS? Uh, almost five years. Five years. How is life after PPS? Well, you know, I was intentional in leaving PPS um, in the sense that I knew I wanted another, you know, I wanted to go on to do something else professionally. Um, I didn't want to just ride that out. So you know, as soon as I was eligible, as they say, like on the day of, um, you know, I promised myself that I would take the jump. And so I left to join another organization called the Urban Schools Human Capital Academy. And I have been on that team and working as a consultant through that group um, since the day I left PPS. So, you know, it, it's, it, it's certainly a very different role. And then of course, working for your local public school system is, is very much a community endeavor. You know, you're right. really applying your skills within your community. Um, the Urban Schools Youth Capital Academy is a national organization. And so over the last five years, I think I've worked in 21 different states um, and, you know, on the ground in those and in, in some places on the ground many times over. So um, lots and lots and lots of travel. So it's been really different in the sense of, you know, spending a big chunk of my career sort of in one place doesn't require learning much outside of your bubble, you know, right. like everything right. is within my bubble, but kind of had blinders on, not blinders, but, you know, just, it didn't require yeah. me to go out totally right. yep. and then switching to work that again, you know, is really nationwide. And, you know, currently I'm working in deeply in Texas, South Carolina, Arkansas, a little bit in North Carolina. I mean, just really immersing yourself with teams and, and, and sort of the context um, of very different places. It's like, a, it's like starting, all, in some ways it really has been like starting all over again, mm. which has been good and bad as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of humility and going from, you know, a role where you felt really confident of, you know, understanding all the structures, right. and all of that to yeah. go sort of kind of low person on the totem pole almost because I was the most recent you know, new person brought onto that team. So okay. it's been good. I'm, yeah, you know, I've great. learned a lot and, and, and kind of stretched in different ways. So it's been good. So you mentioned, you know, working with different states. You actually did mention Arkansas. Share the story how you randomly ran and, and met my dad. Small world. I mean, it really is the definition of small world, right? I mean, it's just crazy. Um, so I think it was two years ago, um, I picked up a project in Arkansas. One of the things that um, is kind of a niche for me is I 
help states implement um, equity labs, human capital equity labs designed to help states and districts identify disparities um, in terms of the access the kids have to effective teaching, recognizing that oftentimes, you know, socioeconomic and racial characteristics are predictive of how much effective teaching a child will receive. And of course, mm -hmm. that's something that has to be addressed. Definitely. So I think it was the fact that I mentioned to you, like I couldn't make a meeting or something because I was going to be in Little Rock um, because I just picked up a project there. And you were like, oh, Little Rock, will you do anything with the Little Rock School District or whatever? And you kind of loosely drew this connection that your father yeah. was worked with the Little Rock School District. So I was like, I, at the time, I was like, I'm not sure. I think there'll be some representatives. It's the steering committee that the state's putting together, maybe. And so sure enough, you know, I go down there on a business trip and I am leading the steering committee, you know, on its first day. And in the room, he was a little bit late. So it wasn't like I got to go up and sort of verify yeah, it. That sounds a little bit late. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that in any way. I'm sure he's not, he at, all. not solving, at all. I'm sure he was solving a problem because the local people are always the the ones that can't get out the door, you know, because totally. Little Rock, that's where the um the state offices are located. So he comes in the door and you know, you look like your dad, Sean. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. there's a close this is the ball round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there was no doubt about it. Um, so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. Obviously, I know you so well, and and I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. Right, and right. Dad walks in. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> so as soon as we broke for lunch, I went up to him and you know introduced myself and said, you know, could we have lunch together because. I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I know your son really well. Right. And so we went to, you know, to um, get lunch and we ended up calling you. Yep. Yep. I was blown day. away. Right. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it, I mean, what are the chances of that? Yeah. Yeah. You talk about a small world. Very really a small world. A wonderful, it, it, wonderful man. Um, it's just yawn nice and kind and, and I have really enjoyed getting to know him because I've run into him several times now because he can right. participate in that work. So, but yeah, crazy world, just crazy. Yeah. And so, 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 so as you said to my dad, you know, I know your son pretty well. So we definitely got to know each other when we were at Pittsburgh Public Schools, but we really truly had an opportunity to get to know each other now that you've been involved with Orange Arrow and now serving as a chair of the board. So when you hear the words Orange arrow what comes to mind um so so uh, so a number of things but i when you say what comes to mind um one is when you told first told me about orange arrow i remember you coming in and kind of explaining that you were maybe wanting a more flexible work schedule because you were starting to i forgot about that really build out you know this idea and this vision and this project that you had started and and were exploring you know sort of the opportunities to have a little bit more flexibility so you could start to divert you know attention to that so i think of that very first time wow. um i i would say you know sort of the, the just the sense of of energy and passion and 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 you know those beautiful children's faces that we see, you know, yeah. it just, it just really bubbles all that 
up for me. Um, so when you say, what do I think of? You know, that's, that's kind of the image and the feel that comes up for me when you say those two words, Orange Arrow. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've been supporting for a while, even before you were in this role. I remember you sneaking in with one of those nice coats into the, uh, what is it, signing day on the south side uh, at pitch practice facility. So when you think of some of the fondest memories, I mean, you, you flew down to, for the Super Bowl event. What are some of the fondest memories when you think about Orange Arrow? Yeah, so you, you are, you hit on one for sure. So particularly since it's, I think almost to the day a year ago that, um, you know, I am so glad that I made the decision to, as you just alluded to, fly down to Miami where Orange Arrow was designated as the um, recipient organization of the funds raised through a major NFL event hosted by um, uh, uh, Lydell Mitchell and, and um, Franco. Franco, Hale. yeah. Of course, two, two Penn State legends. How about that? Got Penn it, State got it. Uh, yeah. Wait, hold on, now I think about it. Come back come back from... I don't know if I can avoid it, but you know, that was such a special event. And, you know, as I, as I said to, um, as I've said to others, it, it was an event that was way bigger, way, just way more than everything. Than I you did say that. It was all things, you know, um, uh, Miami and NFL and, and, and just, it was awesome. Yeah. And you so met the moment. Um, it was, it was just this chance where literally the spotlight came on you and Orange Arrow in, in just such powerful ways. So that's clearly, you know, a, just kind of a great memory and, re, you know, just reflection. Um, and I know you don't like sort of, you know, it to be you and not Orange Arrow, but again, it was, it was almost the merging of it. It was just really kind of a really big stage coming out for Orange Arrow and, and like I've said, you, you know, you just absolutely met the moment. You know, I was so proud of you and, and kind of where the organization is headed that, you know, that was, that was where you were standing that night. That's, that's where you were, who you were talking to. I think I would balance that with, with again, back to some of those children's faces yeah. um, and just recently we heard one of the participants in Orange Arrow you know, say that Orange Arrow was a good thing in a bad year, yeah. talking about last year. I mean, you just, you can't put yeah. a finer point on the impact of what that Orange Arrow is having than to have a child unprompted come out with the wisdom to say that Orange Arrow was a good thing in a bad year about his experience with Orange Arrow. So, you know, hearing those children voice those appreciations and recognitions that Orange Arrow has, has helped them feel more confident in who they are and, and who they are is like people who want to be kind and decent, etc. I mean, those are just really powerful memories, reflections, um, best memories. But yeah, there, it's really a montage. You're right. Yeah. Signing day, signing day um, was a was a blast um, coming to watch the summer academy and those yeah. kids getting up and doing their like marketing pitches. Um, <laughs> yeah. So cute. They were creative and funny as all get out. So um, the first Orange Arrow ball, 
um, watching yeah. some of those students in their, you know, little tuxedos and all yeah, that kind of stuff. At the yeah. Porsche dealership, yeah. And, and just like, they were better public speakers than I'll ever be, you know? They were great, they were great, yeah, oh, impressive. Gosh. So yeah, lots, no lack of um, fond memories and special memories. So you have done a, a wonderful job of, of, of leading the, the board and governing. I remember uh, a couple years ago when I asked you to serve as the the chair is, you know, I tell this to everyone, I started Orange Arrow to help young people, not necessarily to run a business. And so I've learned a lot over the years. And one of the things I learned is the importance of having a strong governing board. And you have done a wonderful job of being structure and direction with that. What is your hope for Orange Arrow or your vision for Orange Arrow? So I would say that, you know, really my vision is that it becomes recognized as an organization, a program that is preparing young people to become future leaders who lead in ways that are, you know, fair-minded, inclusive, um, that they are advocates for social and racial justice, um, and they use their leadership positions to make their communities a better place. I mean, I, to me, that would be the, the ultimate vision that you say Orange Arrow and people are like, oh, they do an amazing job. I have seen, you know, so many people who have assumed important leadership roles and been successful in those roles come out of, you know, having Orange Arrow as part of what shaped them. You know, that to me is a really powerful vision of, you know, the sort of the long-term contributions that I think Orange Arrow is really poised to make. Wonderful. Jody, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do, your time, your financial contributions. Shout out to Steve as well, because you don't do it alone. And he allows you to spend so much time with OA and I, your time is already limited, but I'm forever grateful, forever thankful. And I'm looking forward to impacting more lives, like doing this together. Awesome. I do. Awesome. I look forward to it as well. Jody, thanks for joining the podcast. I appreciate you. It was <laughs> we did. Great. All right. All right. All right. Take Thank care. You.